Is it Happy Lent? Can you say Happy Lent? That doesn't really ring, does it? It's a good season of the year. Some it's a really important season, that's for there sure. Today is Ash Wednesday. Uh, the, if you're catching us live, the first day in the season of Lent, and it's exciting around here. Yeah. Parking lots filling up. People are coming to worship for the noon service. Mm-hmm. We're doing this podcast live. Uh, we've got two more services tonight, one at 5 mm-hmm. and one at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just in West Des Moines. There are other Hope campuses and locations, so check your local listings to find an Ash Wednesday Lenten service near you. And yeah, we might even get into that as we go because our Bible readings point us to 40 and those the meaning of 40 days in a season and that's a part of what Lent is about. So, we'll get there. But Emily, hi. Hello. How's it going? Uh, This is my co-host, Emily Langpo. Emily, would you please introduce our special guest pastors? Yes, we have Pastor Caroline Binky-Becker. Hi, Caroline. Hi there, Emily. And intern (laughs) pastor, Anna Eckley. Hi, Anna. Hi, happy to be here. Glad you're both here. Anna is one of our intern pastors here at Hope, a seminary grad from the seminary at? Truett Seminary in Waco, Texas. Right, so affiliated with Baylor University, right? Yep, Sikkim. Caroline, seminary for you? Bethel Seminary up in St. Paul. So we got the... The bees, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There you go. Buffalo and Baylor, and uh-huh. well, true it technically. Yeah, right? it's okay. We can go with Baylor. There you go. So, so internship for you is post seminary. Yeah. Where for and for a lot of seminary students, that's the way it goes now. Uh, and for others, it's a year of internship in between um, the seminary uh, academic years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, undergrad for you was where Anna University of Iowa. Iowa and the undergrad and medical school and any other school, Caroline, for you. Uh, undergrad was Wartburg College, and then I went to Iowa for medical school and Indiana University for my residency. Oh, wow. So you have the Hawkeye thing in common. Yeah, sort of, we do. You know, yeah. right yes, too. we do. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, do you want to say yours? I really don't. But okay. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed about it. I love it. it was Concordia, Moorhead, Minnesota, and then Seminary at Luther. And for you, it was? Yes, I took classes at Bethel, but before that at UNI. Right. Go Panthers. Cedar Falls, yes. All right. Well, now that everybody knows <laughs> our educational backgrounds uh-huh. and resume, I, you know, I started to say all that, though, because I want people to understand, um, even though we have uh, different pastors from different seminaries and different places, we're mm-hmm. still... We're still deep into God's word on these things. And it's graduate school for Lutheran pastors. It's not just waking mm-hmm. up one day and saying, hey, I think I want to be a pastor. So therefore yeah. I am. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But there's a few things that make me a little nervous about it sometimes. Kind of like going to a doctor. I uh-huh. prefer they've been to med school. Medical school. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to go to a surgeon who says, oh, maybe today. I just decided I'm really interested in <laughs> yeah, heart surgery. Yeah, yeah, so I'm going to start yeah, opening uh-huh, up chests uh-huh, and see what yeah. happens. Not a good idea. No, I don't, I don't think so either. <laughs> Does that mean we know it all? Of course not. Uh, we're still learning, and I hope that I'll always be a student of God's Word. But man, it's been fun to read through the whole Holy Bible. Yeah. Together as a church this year, we're into the Gospel of Luke for the mm-hmm. season of Lent. And those of you who are doing the Gunner track and adding the Old Testament readings, we've started into uh, the last of the five books of the Torah, the five opening books of the Old Testament, and that's Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, man, there's yes. a lot of questions we've been hearing. Yes. So let's get to it. Let's do it. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. First one is about the Old Testament. What do you want our listeners to know to help them make better sense of Deuteronomy as they read it this week? Anna, tell us. 
Yeah. Well, the first thing, uh, every time I try to spell Deuteronomy, I spell it wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> that is good. Yeah. If, if I'm not funny. alone. The, the is it EU or UE, right? It's EU, yes. yeah. But yeah. that's not what my mind thinks. But um, yeah, in Deuteronomy, we see Moses preaching to a new generation. So he's telling stories. Sometimes it feels repetitive, but it's because this is what it's important for the new generation to know. Mm. So he's just passing on stories. And one thing that I really love about Deuteronomy that's been really evident to me as I've been reading this time is every time Moses says this day or today, Hmm. Hmm. um, he's speaking to the new generation, but then also we're all the new generation. So God's promises this day is for us today. So if Hmm. you read this day, God is compassionate. This day, God is courageous. That's also today for us. And that's really cool. I hadn't really even, this is why it's good to do this stuff together mm-hmm. and not go solo on this. Just right there, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And and I know the generational thing that happens to Deuteronomy because the old generation is not going to get into the promised land because of their rebellion against God, because God made a covenant with them and they broke it is mm-hmm. another way to put it. But to to bring it down to the phrasing and the way Moses is addressing them this day, today. So the new generation, there's hope, although they're going to kind of mess up too. We're going to find out later. (laughs) Spoiler alert, right? But uh, the generational uh, uh, contrast and distinction here is pretty important. Caroline, what else did you catch? I think Deuteronomy is really important to understand the rest of Israel's history Mm. because the themes in Deuteronomy help us understand Mm. why God did to the Israelites what he did. You know, the the major themes, Mm. Um, the Lord alone, worship the Lord alone only. Yes. In one place, mm-hmm. one sanctuary. Right. Um, if you do that, you will stay in the land. If you don't, you won't. I mean, right. this the Sinai covenant is a conditional covenant. Mm. They can break the covenant and lose the land. Then there are blessings and curses, and we'll we'll see a lot of that later on. Yeah. Um, in I love in Deuteronomy twenty eight. There's this entire list of of blessings. There's eleven verses of blessings and thirty verses of curses. So you know, God is kind of <laughs> carrot stick, carrot stick. You know. And, or maybe God just knows who he's speaking uh, to. Right? Exactly. But what's cool then is you have all of these uh, laid down, but then God says, and choose. Yes. You can choose life or, or death. Right. And God gives us that choice. He says, you are a part of the story. You are not a, a, an observer. You are a participant mm-hmm. in this story. And once we understand those themes then the whole rest of the Old Testament and frankly, the New Testament until the New Covenant makes more sense. Right. Hmm. That's. Let me just add three more quick things like bullet points. One is Deuteronomy literally means second law. So as, as our readers are reading this, it might sound a little familiar if, you, if you've been reading along Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now it's like, well, haven't we covered this ground before? The answer is yes, although Moses is going to expound on it a little bit too. And okay. again, Anna, like you said, part of the new generational thing. Hey, mm-hmm. old generation, you messed this up. You're not getting in, but your kids might. Um, and so here, but the covenant is still conditional, like you say, Caroline. It's it, uh-huh. contrast the old with the new covenant. Then, just briefly, because mm-hmm. that would take that could be a whole podcast episode. <laughs> but wh- how would you summarize? So, if the old covenant is conditional, is the new covenant unconditional? Abra- the covenant with Abraham was unconditional. God says, I promise you all of these things. Right. The covenant at Sinai is conditional if you follow my commandments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you get into the New Testament, the new covenant, right. it is all gift again. Yes. Because Jesus says, I give you my body, my blood. 
um, will, the question always is, will you accept it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, in, it's unconditional on God's part. Yes. But we get to, again, we get to choose whether to accept the gift or not. Right. There's, there's certainly a distinction to be made. Like grace is unconditional. We know this. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of the new covenant. But like you say, and I, I would just caution our readers not to make too stark of a contrast between old and new. There, there's a lot of well-meaning teachers and Christians out there who would suggest we don't really need the Old Covenant. We don't need the Old Testament. We don't need to know what it says. But like like you both addressed, there are transferable principles, first of all. And then, and then secondarily, it's really important for us to know the history of what's happening with God's people in these, in these times of Moses in order to make sense of who Jesus is fully and, and to understand mm-hmm. the importance of grace. I would add this, though, because people have told me this as as they're reading. You know, people stop me in the street. You know, hey, I got a question. We love your questions. Keep them coming. Uh, But they say, boy, it's it's so harsh reading through parts of these Mm -hmm. Old Testament books. It seems like the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. But I would caution you on that. That is an incorrect assumption. In fact, it's not just that uh, New Testament, New Covenant God... Also, Jesus will say, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Paul, it picks up on that, too, in his epistles. We'll talk more about that as we get deeper into it this year. But here's the surprise. Peel back just a couple of layers. Take just a little bit of a closer look as you read through Deuteronomy, and you'll see God's grace is on full display. Mm -hmm. Because as you alluded to, Caroline, there is rebellion amongst God's people, and yet God continues to make the old covenant accessible. For a new generation, like you said, Anna, in this case, that's the transferable principle for us, too. God's grace is consistent from Old through New Testament. You say, yeah, but man, there's some stuff in there. It's just really hard to read. I mean, it it just makes Mm -hmm. you cringe a little bit. It would be wrong for us to compare the Old Testament laws of Deuteronomy, or before that, this is the second law, to uh, modern ethic and law and everything that that transfers into that. It would be more accurate and I think more faithful of us and more honest of us to compare God's Old Testament covenant law with Israel's neighbors. And we start to right. see, well, how God is full of grace compared to how harsh. You want harsh. Check out the Assyrian law at the time. Check, check, out, check out the laws of, of neighboring nations of Israel as they're coming into this promised land. And you realize there's just darkness and evil and corruption and, you know, sacrificing human lives and all all sorts of just horrendous stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You contrast in its... So if you take text out of context and just put it in the 21st century, it feels a little off. But if you put that text back in the context of its history, you start to realize, huh, God's full of grace compared to all the other uh, covenantal type laws that are made in any other nation surrounding them. And what's so cool about this for me, what makes knowing the Old Testament make Jesus explode is that you look back and you think, how am I any different than the Israelites who were rebelling? Mm -hmm. How am I any different than the Israelites who were complaining? How am I any different? Right. Um, and, and yet God continues, even though they break the covenant, God continues to be in a relationship with them. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so many places where we get the purpose of the law, even New Covenant, New Testament law, one of those purposes is to accuse us of our sin, to show us like a mirror. So so we we reflect. Lent, Ash Wednesday, is us admitting 
that we're not perfect, that we are sinners. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God cleanses us, forgives mm-hmm. us, wipes it clean. So choose, mm-hmm. like, like Deuteronomy says at the end, choose life or curses, bl- blessings or curses, life or death. Uh, choose. And one last word for our readers in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to five, there's a Hebrew word oh. called Shema or Shema or pronounce it any way you want. It's a dead old Hebrew language. Nobody knows for sure, but it's S-H-E-M-A in English. This word means listen. So this is this is this foundational kind of text, verses four and five of Deuteronomy six. That says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And if that sounds at all Mm. like Jesus in the New Testament, it should. Mm. So again, the consistency of God. Let me summarize all of these Old Testament laws for you, God is saying, listen and love. Mm-hmm. Listen and love with everything you've got. And isn't that what Jesus says in the New Testament mm-hmm. too? Yeah. Is the greatest commandment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. good. Next question, switching back to Luke. What should we know about Luke compared to the other three gospels? Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caroline. Mm-hmm. When you look through the gospels, Matthew is the, the gospel that presents um, Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. That, mm-hmm. that he is fulfilling all the prophecies. Mm-hmm. You look at, at Mark, and Mark really becomes the, the um, challenging Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's challenging the, 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 um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's challenging all of the structures that were there. Um, and he's, he's, he's just moving quickly. We get to Luke, mm-hmm. and Luke is, is written to the um, Gentiles, people who are searching for truth. And Luke, in contrast to the other two, not that the other two don't have this, but in Luke, Jesus is really presented as the compassionate Messiah. Mm -hmm. It's in Luke that we have all these beautiful parables. We have him um, caring for the outcast, caring for the women, caring for everybody who is marginalized. And it's not that Matthew and Mark don't, Mm -hmm. but Luke tends to emphasize Jesus and his grace. Mm -hmm. And in Luke's gospel, especially, uh, Luke gives us the sense that there is joy in belief. The tone of Luke is just this sense of mercy and grace and love. And and because it's so good, you can't not follow Mm -hmm. is the way Luke presents Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Anna, what else are you seeing? I was going to say, I think Luke can use that picture of its joy and like we should be following this because... In the beginning, he tells us, this is based off my investigation. Like right. he has done so much research to get to this point. And this, he's sharing with us what he has learned, what has mm. changed his heart. And so he's kind of sharing, like, this is what happened and this is how it has affected me. And now I want to see it change your life too. Mm. And that's a really awesome way to tell a story. Yeah, it is where Mark is really big on what as you're just saying, Anna, Luke's going to take you a little deeper and into a little more detail and a little more compassion, as you say, mm-hmm. Caroline. He's he's going to cover some ground. If we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't have the parable of the Good Samaritan. If we didn't have Luke, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have the parable of the prodigal son. If we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't have the Christmas story like, like we do, the, mm-hmm. the birth of Jesus, with all of this detail. Luke is the longest gospel. Mark's mm-hmm. the shortest gospel. Most scholars believe uh, Mark hung out with Peter, uh, and was mm-hmm. traveling secretary, or, you know, scribing for him, yeah. and that Luke was doing the same kind of thing with Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, when you read Paul, you realize he's like a preacher. He's got a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about Peter's personality that comes through in, in the New Testament, 
he's not so much talk as he is action, you know, and moving. Mm-hmm. And, and those gospels reflect that. How great we have both. Mm-hmm. How great oh, yeah. we have, a, you know, let, let's see Jesus sort of through the, the view of a, of, a, of a thinker, a detailed, compassionate, Pauline type of perspective. And let's see Jesus through an action adventure kind of uh, roaming disciple like Peter. Uh, I, I think both are really, really important. And I also think that it's wonderful the way Luke emphasizes insiders and outsiders. He says early on in our reading for this week, Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus stood up in the temple, and he was the Bible reader mm-hmm. that day, the scripture reader, mm-hmm. took out the scroll from Isaiah, a prophecy that the people had been waiting to be fulfilled for centuries, and he rolls it back up, and then he just drops the... Talk about a mic drop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says, today in, in your hearing, this scripture, mm-hmm. this prophecy has been fulfilled, mm-hmm. and he's the, the very obvious implication Jesus is saying is, and I'm it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the one you've been waiting for. <laughs> and they take him out to a cliff and want to like push him off because yes. they, they're so offended. Yeah. How could you, the carpenter's kid, what? Yeah. Well, that's the surprise. And, and then the prophecy, though, is that I've come to bring good news to the poor. Mm-hmm. Now, Luke is going to emphasize that, not just in Luke, but in part two of Luke, which is Acts. Right. And, and that's going to be fulfilled later. So it's it's fun to read, fun to watch, fun to mm-hmm. see the development of this oh, yeah. drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then getting into Luke, what should we know about Luke uh, in chapters one and two and his account of Jesus's birth? And how does it differ from mm-hmm. pop culture's version of the Christmas story? <laughs> Carol, I know, I know this is like right in your lane. You, 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 I've, heard you, I've heard you teach on this frequently, which is awesome. Go. Popular culture says that Mary and Joseph rode a donkey um, into Bethlehem uh-huh. moments before Mary was going to give birth. She's, she's panting. She's ready to push while she's riding. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they get into town. They're, uh, they're looking for the, you know, they're going to place to place the, all the hotels are full. Mm-hmm. The inn, the inns are full. The innkeeper says no room, but there's a stable out back. You can, you can go there. And mm-hmm. moments after they, Mary nestles down into the straw, baby Jesus pops out. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's kind of the, that's the version that's the, the, the version. most of it, the legend, right? The legend. What does uh, the Bible say? Oh, uh, if the Bible in context, here's the thing. As an OBGYN, I've looked at this multiple times and thinking, I just shake my head. Number one, uh, women were not dumb enough to travel a week before their due date. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I, that it's, it's not like we all of a sudden here in the West in the last 10 years decided that that wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Bible says, and they were there and the t- days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Well, there's a period of time from the time they traveled to the time they got settled in. It wasn't she was pushing as she was getting off the donkey uh-huh. kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I just need to interject for a second. So our daughter, Christy, mm-hmm. is just over a week away from wow. her due date, uh, mm-hmm. delivering her first child and our third grandchild. And we couldn't be more excited, but she's... If you know Christy, as you know, people around Hope tend to know her pretty well. They were the village that helped mm-hmm. raise her. Um, she's driven. She's mm-hmm. she she doesn't like to sit. She likes to go. And you know, Dad had a conversation with her about that last night, which her <laughs> husband had with her earlier that same day. 
Because she's just going, 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 pushing, pushing. She said, you know, you don't get extra points for nesting in mm. every detail you know, before it's done. <laughs> yes. we, like you say, women are smart enough to know you don't travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem mm-hmm. a week before you're due. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do that. Just just rest. If you're watching this, Christy, just rest. Mm-hmm. Just, 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 <laughs> right, doctor? Absolutely. Just take it easy. Yeah. Let your husband just, serve just, you yes. for a week. Oh, yeah. A week? Uh, we're talking years. Thank no, you. anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. She said it, not me, Dan. I'm just saying. So the other thing to understand is is they are going back to the city of David, which is interesting because Bethlehem is now ta- called the city of David rather than Jerusalem. Is which is city. where he reigned, but which why is, is it Bethlehem? Because that's where David was born. And that's where they get it. And that's where they get it. And so they're coming back home. Yeah. And, and Middle Eastern hospitality then as now would never turn... You know, I, you know, my, my mm-hmm. nephew, my cousin, my, uh, uh-huh. they would never turn them away. The other thing is, is the, the mm-hmm. idea of inns, inns were a Roman um, invention. Uh, they, they were along major routes, you know, major uh, uh, transportation routes mm-hmm. and they were sketchy. Mm-hmm. So no good Jewish couple would want to be in an inn. Mm-hmm. We also know that because of the Greek what Luke uses for the word in is not what he's using in the text here. The word he uses is cataloma, which means guest room. Right. Hmm. So what's going on here is they come in, they're welcomed, but these are small homes. Right. Most homes are just one room for the family right. with a, a section that is where your livestock come in. Okay. And usually, and they've, they've done archaeology and, and discovered this, there's a small area where the animals would come and then the area where the family would live would be built up, yeah. a, a, you know, a couple of feet. You yeah. bring your animals in at night to keep them safe so that they're not getting, mm-hmm. you know, attacked by animals or stolen. And it helps keep the house warm. Mm-hmm. The family lives in the upper part. And then during the day, the animals are outside grazing. Yeah. Well, that's where you've got your manger. It's just built into essentially the floor of the family area, the family level. Hmm. Well, you come in, if you have a little bit more money, you would add a second room, the cataloma, which is, would oftentimes be above, like a second, a sec, you know, second story, because you don't have enough land to spread out like we do with our McMansions here. (laughs) Um, And so if somebody was already in the guest room, you would never kick somebody else out who's already there first right. to allow Mary and Joseph in. Right. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they they doubled up, right. essentially. And once Mary delivered, and she delivered not by herself, there is no culture in the world who allows women to deliver unattended. Mm-hmm. So the village midwife, all the, all the other women who had delivered, would chase Joseph out and all the men out. Mm-hmm. Mary would mm-hmm. deliver, clean up baby Jesus, and what quicker, easier way to put him so he's not rolling around on the floor getting stepped on is to put him in the in the manger or the place where the animals were were eating. Their feeding mm. trough. Yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. that's the room they were in. That's the room they were in. So why does all this matter? What 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 why is it better? Would you I mean, I, I feel like I know you guys do too. The biblical story's better than the legend. We might have to you know, adjust our nativity scenes at home a little That's bit. That's what I'm you know. trying to figure out. Like, <laughs> oh no. Because we all have stables, right? We got little barn type features and stuff. And 
you know, we've we've done that here too, just to yep. tell the story. Yeah. It's not the it's not the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. However, the biblical account, why is why does it matter that it went the way that it did? Because Jesus is born in a community, yes. in a family, mm, yes. in people who welcomed him, who were anxious for to meet him, to be a part of, of this great new thing that was going on. They didn't understand it. Mary certainly didn't. Joseph didn't. But they were excited to yeah. welcome this little baby in, into the community. Hmm. They, yes. And that's a, that, to me, is really the key. Is, is we realize that Jesus is born in community for community, for, for all of us. The fact that he was laid in a manger, though, that's not probably going to be the best idea for, for a newborn baby. And the fact that it's not happening in their hometown. So there is an uncomfortableness to it. There, mm-hmm. there is, it's certainly not plan A. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. if for a pregnant woman is to in order to deliver this baby, I'm going out of town, even if it's months ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be somewhere that I'm, it's not home. It's not familiar. I don't have all my family around me because I'm with Joseph's family mm-hmm. and his city of, of, of heritage. It's, it's, a, it's a much more fascinating story because I think it shows us that God shows up for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't just show up for the rich and famous. He doesn't just show up for the people who are comfortable and have plan A working out just mm-hmm. the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. Plan B's happen all the time. I mean, yeah. right, Emily? Right yeah. before the podcast, some things happen. <laughs> yes. It was not my intended outfit. <laughs> and I ripped my Bible. Well, there's tape not for that. Not good. That's yeah. right. That's right. Where, where there is no way, God got to make a way. Anna, what else did you catch there? I was just, um, I was going to say that I think pop culture, and then specifically Western culture, we really love to romanticize things. And we've made yeah. this birth story mm-hmm. a dreamy birth story. Whereas a, as a young, newly married woman, I think of myself looking forward to being a first time as a mom. I don't want to do it somewhere where I don't know the people around right, me. Right. I want to do it somewhere safe and mm-hmm. somewhere clean. Mm-hmm. So it's probably it was really, I would say it could have been a traumatic event for Mary. Mm-hmm. It probably wasn't dreamy like we've made it out to be. Right. And if we can recognize that and then also sit with Mary saying, man, you've been through a traumatic event. I have two in my life. Mm-hmm. God showed up for you. God is going to show up for me too. I think when we are able to do that and to dive past what pop culture says, um, there's just so much more there that we can connect with. Yeah. I, I think you're rolling right into our next question, is, which is what stands out for you in this story about the faith and character of Mary, mm-hmm. like you're hitting it. That's really cool. Yeah. Other things that stand out about Mary's role in that? For me, it's her faithfulness, mm-hmm. and and it's the way that, like you just said, Anna, that can't be plan A. That can't be comfortable for her. It, the romantic version of the story is, you know, Mary is is has this perfect visit by this angel, who's just glowing and mm-hmm. and and, every, and 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 is very calming and peaceful. Well, biblically, angels tend to be more like warriors from heaven uh-huh. and messengers of uh-huh. God too. But they bring their message with, you know, strength and, mm-hmm. and power and intimidation. Uh, because so often when Bi- when, in the Bible, when angels show up, the first phrase out of the receiver of the angel's mm-hmm. mouth is, I'm freaking out. Or, or, the, or the, the writer of that scripture will say, the angel said, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. Because clearly you're afraid. Mm-hmm. So, so Mary's afraid. Let, let's just put that on her. She's, 
she's not perfect. She's not divine, but she is the mother of God. Mm -hmm. And so let's also give her her due. I think sometimes we underestimate how important Mary is. And sometimes I think we overestimate how important Mm -hmm. Mary is in the Christian family. Uh, You know, we don't worship Mary. Mary wouldn't want to be worshiped. Um, She is a flawed, fallen human being like we all are. But at the same time, there's something about Mary. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to coin the phrase from that, that <laughs> yes. silly movie from way back when, there really is something about her that deserves our attention mm-hmm. at the very least. And we have a lot to learn from her faithfulness. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I love about Mary, as somebody who is rational, logical, and I, I don't take anything face value, mm. um, I love the fact that Mary asks for information. She asks the angel, how can this be? So, so she's, she's faithful and she wants to know more. Mm-hmm. Versus, she, she, she ponders things a yes, lot too. Yes, we'll find out yeah. later. Yeah. And in contrast, because I've been asked this multiple times, how come Mary doesn't get struck down with, with being struck mute like Zechariah did? Didn't Zechariah mm-hmm. ask the same kind of question? In Luke chapter one. Right. Actually, no. What Zechariah is asking, how will I know? In other words, give me proof. Mm. Mary doesn't ask for proof. That's mm. her faith. But she is asking, but how can this happen? So I love the idea that you can have faith and still ask questions. Mm. And it's okay. And in fact, it's expected. Um, faith isn't something that you just, you for me, Faith isn't just something that I accept. It's something that I'm actively pursuing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that, that we get that from Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll see Mary again as we read on through the gospel. She'll she'll make some more appearances as we go, um, you know, right through the resurrection day. And then in John's gospel, she also plays some new prominent roles and parts mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. go. Absolutely. So That's great. Next question is about an Anna in the Bible. Uh, why does it matter that Anna was so enthusiastic at the sight of Jesus in the temple? Yeah. You just, you just got to love God's timing. So, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily think this all the way through. So it's got to be God. Let's give credit where it's due. But this is first. This is Anna's debut on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And this is the first time we've read about Anna, yes. you know, in yeah. our reading so far this week. That just the way it all comes. So Anna, first shot at this question. I think this is the only time we read about Anna, but hopefully this isn't my only time on the podcast. No, <laughs> no, no, no. We'll definitely have you back. Definitely. Um, but no, I think the prophet Anna is prophetess, prophetess. Mm. Anna, I think she's awesome. And I think since we know that she's old, that she has seen a lot in her days. She's been living in the temple. She's been mm-hmm. living in the temple complex most of her life or probably majority of it. And so she's seen a lot. She has spent a lot of time with God. She spent a lot of time with other faithful people. And as soon as she sees Jesus, she says, you're the one. And I think that's so cool because when we spend time with God, we are also like, we we have this muscle that if we practice it, if we practice recognizing God in our mm. life and God in our story, we also then can immediately see that's where God showed up in that. Mm. So her just being able to see that so quickly just demonstrates how faithful she is, um, how understanding she is. Mm-hmm. And I would like to hang out with her. I, I hope to get that chance one day. It'll be Anna and Anna together. Yeah, yeah forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? So, so you're right. Anna, Anna's not had a charmed life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible tells us that her husband mm-hmm. died. She's widowed. Mm-hmm. She, like you said, she lives in the temple complex. She's there every day. But watch that. So she practices spiritual disciplines, right? She's a, She speaks God's word. So she uses the gifts that God has given to her in the temple. She's 
and just as a side note, here we have two female pastors, you know, on this podcast, <laughs> that it's a woman who's there. It's Simeon too, another prophet in the same, you know, section of Luke's gospel. But the fact that Luke, again, insiders, outsiders, is going out of his way. Luke is the only gospel too who makes a point of saying, and some of the disciples were women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you have a problem with that, you really don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the Bible on this. Is So women are prophesying in the temple, which, as you said earlier, Caroline, one God, one temple. We know that from Deuteronomy, our Old Testament reading. It's not like there's temples all over the place. This is the temple, and God has her speaking his word as a prophet in his holy temple. Holy smokes. <laughs> Tell me women can't teach? It's right there in Scripture, proclaiming God's word. I would also add this, that because Anna is doing that, and she's worshiping, we can assume, uh, because she's in the temple day and night, she's practicing spiritual disciplines. Mm. Folks, this is why it's important to be in God's mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. And, as, and as you just said about Anna, you're able to recognize, you, yeah. you, you use that spiritual muscle that allows you to recognize when you're in the presence of God, when God has a will for you to do things. People ask us all the time, number one question I ever get asked, what is God's will for my life? Mm. What am, how do I know? How do I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation? How do I know I'm supposed to do in my future? How do I know? Do the Anna thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Practice it. Get into God's word. Get The more you get to know God, the more you live out the gifts God has given to you, the more you practice your faith, the more those muscles, spiritual muscles will be in shape. And you'll be able to say, well, I know what God wants me to do because I know God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love the fact that Anna is a woman and she's older, which in that culture would mean she had no voice. She was so not a So it would have been strike two according to the culture, but not according to God. Right, exactly. And so... Rather than and not being considered a reliable witness, the fact that Luke calls her a prophet and devout, yes. those two things together says that this is a reliable witness, yeah. and she's excited that the promises come true. Right. And so people hearing that would be able to say, she, she is a reliable voice that we can listen to, and mm-hmm. she says it's coming true, and it's like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the news is starting to spread. Mm-hmm. The news is spreading, and there again, Luke is with Paul a lot, Mm -hmm. and Paul's the one who's going to appoint women to proclaim God's word in churches that he starts, Mm -hmm. in other words, to serve as the preachers and teachers and pastors in those Mm -hmm. places. The the whole thing of saying women shouldn't preach or teach, some shouldn't, some men shouldn't either. (laughs) It really just depends on on gifts, according to, we we don't ordain women because they're women and we want to be edgy and innovative. Mm-hmm. We do it because the New Testament church did it. Mm-hmm. Paul also says in a particular context, women ought not to speak there because in that place, women were causing disruption mm-hmm. and distraction. Mm-hmm. But Paul's not inconsistent. He's not stupid. He's not going to say one thing in one context and something else somewhere else mm-hmm. and appoint women to lead in other places. So it's because it's in the Bible right. um, that that we, without reservation, say, Anna, Caroline and all the other women who serve and have served here as pastors, if you're gifted, if God's calling you, then Mm -hmm. yeah, who are we to stand in the way? Mm -hmm. Because scripture doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Getting into some deeper questions. What does John the Baptist mean when he says that someone greater than him will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire? We are getting deep now. And and this, this will be the short version. We could do a whole podcast on this too. But remember, Luke is written in two parts. There's the Gospel of Luke, and then there's the sequel, which is the book of Acts. Mm. And in the book of Acts, early on, we see that Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to ascend, the Holy Spirit's going to descend, 
And then he does on the day of ascension. Uh, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you with, with power. And, and he does as we turn the page into Acts chapter 2. And specifically, how does he come with power? So when John is sitting there saying, it's not me, you, you, some, there's rumblings, he knows the rumors, you think I'm the Messiah, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm the warm-up act. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one the prophet said would come and set the table. I'm more Elijah than Jesus, that's mm-hmm. for sure. And John knows it. Little kudos to him there, too, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. easy, I think, ego-wise to start to think, wow, look at the crowd. Look yeah. look at all the people who are coming to hear John preach in the mm-hmm. wilderness and to be baptized by him. And and look at the the, the whole, it's a revolution. My good, It's a revival, right? The, oh, the, yeah. This is what's uh-huh. happening here. Yeah. It's all about John. And John tells his own disciples, we'll read about that in John's mm-hmm. gospel, when he sees Jesus, stop following me, follow him. Mm-hmm. You, you've got the wrong guy if you think I'm going to lead you to salvation. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to point you to the one who will, I'm, mm-hmm. to the one who is salvation, the way, the truth, and the life. So in Acts chapter 2, the specifics are when the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit descends, because John says, I baptize you with water. He says this in Luke, but the one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's exactly what happens on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Here comes the fire, tongues of fire dancing on their heads. And it is this. So people say, well, that's that's right. So you have to be filled by the Holy Spirit. You have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah, but what does that mean? Let's let's get into what how the mm-hmm. Bible answers that question. Caroline? Well, the Bible, Bible is, is talking about um, the God is in power yes. and we can see it in the fire. Yes. And the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized, comes into you. Yes. So and you're so filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled, you're filled with the Holy Spirit at the time of baptism. Mm-hmm. So you don't need uh, two baptisms. Yeah. One baptism mm-hmm. is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the idea that you have to have two is, I just don't see it where you can support it biblically. Although we do believe and teach what the Bible believes and teaches, that people can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. In addition to being baptized. and But mm. that's not a one-time right. conversion event either. That should be every... We should be born again and again and again and again, day mm-hmm. after day after day after day. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time we experience God's grace is amazing, it is being born again, biblically speaking. And there are times when we are going to have a greater sense of the Holy Spirit's filling. Yep. Those are those mountaintop mm-hmm. experiences. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live we and, and we crave those. I mean, why not? Yeah. But that's not how you're going to live your life all the time. Mm-hmm. And the way the Bible says we can know that we're filled by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's manifestations of mm-hmm. incredible spiritual fillings, uh, speaking tongues. Uh, people have discerning words. Uh, people have healing gifts. We'll, if we have time, we'll get to that. Uh, but the epistles are really clear on this deeper in the New Testament. They say to be filled by the Holy Spirit ultimately means to know that you know that you're loved mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. There is a God and this God loves you. And I'm telling you, there's nothing deeper than that. When you get that, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the fire. That's the Holy Spirit. That's that's the thing that happens to us at baptism where it begins. But, you know, as as uh, as we teach around here, sometimes it's a little pilot light. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because there's differences. Let's be honest about that. Some people are on fire mm-hmm. and other people could be, but the pilot light needs to be pumped mm-hmm. up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, make some room. Um, and you know, we, we'll get into that deeper as we go throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Absolutely. good. Next question. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days? And does 40 have to do with Lent, which starts today? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so 40 is just, an, it's used all the time in the Bible. We see the Israelites traveled for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, that kind of connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's that connection point for us. But I think that when Jesus was in the wilderness, it's really, and he was tempted. I think oftentimes we think, oh, when you've been tempted for 40 days, you don't have bread, you don't have food, you're going to be at your weakest. And (laughs) we kind of take that idea with us into when we're thinking about what am I going to give up for Lent? What do I have to give up? When actually it can be, we can change that mindset into what do I get to give up to draw closer to God? I like that. When Uh Jesus was tempted on day, whatever, Mm -hmm. it was probably at a time when he was in a deep, in the deepest relationship with God possible Mm. because he had been so close to him throughout his time in the wilderness. So if we practice Lent, which it's not required, we don't have to do it, but it is a gift of fasting. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual discipline, kind of like we were just talking about. So if we choose to fast for 40 days, it's a time where we can draw close to God and rely on him and lean on him. And we come out of that season stronger. So, Mm. yeah. What a great intro mm-hmm. to Lent. Mm-hmm. I mean, here it is Ash Wednesday, and mm-hmm. we're about to worship at our Ash Wednesday services. And I invite you to, again, to, to do that, everybody who's tuning in and listening. Unless, of course, you're listening to this tomorrow, <laughs> which would be today for you. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> what else to say about 40 and, and this whole thing, Caroline? I love the fact that we have just finished the wilderness wander, or will be finishing the wilderness wanderings, yeah. the 40 days wandering in the wilderness where... 40 years. 40 years yeah. wandering in the wilderness where, you know, Israel oftentimes was called the son of God, that that's was God's right. way of, of showing other people that he was alive and working oh, in the good. world. Yeah. And so, so we have this, you know, Israel as the representation of the son of God, mm-hmm. who is spends 40 years wandering and messing up every time, every temptation, they fail, they yeah. failed every single one of them. Now we come to the son of God, Jesus going out into the, into the wilderness was driven out into the wilderness by the Holy spirit is is fasting, spending 40 days out there, and then gets tempted. And every temptation that he has, he is not, he he is successful. He never fails. So all of a sudden we come from a uh, son of God, Israel, mm. who failed every time that they were tested to the son of God yeah. who never failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the, the connection couldn't have been better for this timing, for the, the, the season of Lent. Mm. So unfortunately, what Lent has become is just a religious ritual for mm-hmm. too many people. I would encourage everybody who can hear our voices right now, as, as, as these two brilliant women just laid out so nicely, not just, not just the number 40, but what Lent, how it's a, it's a gift. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity. It's not just about giving up candy or smoking or potato chips or, or whatever. But let's not minimize that too much, because if that's become a distraction for us, for a better, fuller, more abundant life with God, with others, then it wouldn't be the worst thing to practice that discipline for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Let it go, but, but not to show off our piety, mm-hmm. not to say, look how religious I am, not mm-hmm. to post it on social media and say, here's, oh, it's just really hard to not eat these potato chips today or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's drawing attention to ourselves. When that's actually the opposite of what yeah. God wants. And if, if we get to do Lent, mm-hmm. if we do it for what it's worth, what it's going to do, it's going to strengthen our faith. Mm-hmm. It's going to increase in us 
you know, the James four eight says, "Draw close to God, and He'll draw close to you." Mm-hmm. So it's it's our sacrifice for the one who sacrificed everything for us. Mm-hmm. I I can give up chocolate for forty days, or I I can give up something. I can mm-hmm. give up complaining for forty days, or yeah. whatever it is, so that it will actually be something God can use. Mm-hmm. In the same way God used the wilderness for Jesus for mm-hmm. 40 days, so you're not going to eat, you're not, you're going to fast, you're going to do all these things. And then when you're weak, as you said, Anna, you're going to get tempted by the greatest tempter um, mm-hmm. around. But Jesus resisted. And I just have to add this in, especially during this year when we're doing the whole Holy Bible in a year. How does Jesus resist the temptation? By standing on the word of God, mm-hmm. because he knows God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so do we. Mm-hmm. If Jesus needed to do that, so do we. Yeah. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. That's what's so connecting the dots. It, it's, there you it, go. Literally, <laughs> all of the words that we read in Deuteronomy for this week, Jesus quotes when he's tempted. Yes. It mm-hmm. couldn't have come together any better. So... Unfortunately, we're out of time. We had another question mm-hmm. about healing. We'll, we'll pick up on that another time. Just, yeah. just real quickly, does God still heal? Absolutely. Yes. 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 So mm-hmm. never give up on God. Never give up on hope, which is also what the Lenten journey will teach us. It mm-hmm. seems so morbid. It seems so. It's like ashes to ashes. That's funeral language. Mm-hmm. And it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that you're dust and to dust you'll return. Why would I want to participate in such a downer and talk about a Debbie downer of a holy day, you know, get me to Christmas. Let's go back to that again. (laughs) Let's talk about the resurrection on Easter, Ash Wednesday. When you really think about what we're doing, Mm. it's a little rough because it's us admitting we're sinners. Mm -hmm. It's us admitting we're dust. It's us admitting we're mortal. It's us admitting we aren't good enough, holy enough, righteous enough, moral enough, um, uh, pious enough. We're none of those things. And we'll never be able. This we'll never get there. This side of heaven, uh, but don't give up hope, which is really the story of Deuteronomy, yes. and it's certainly the story of Jesus and Luke yes. mm-hmm. as we read through these texts. So keep that in mind, dear listeners and readers, as you're as you're diving into these texts. Mm-hmm. If it feels like God's people should have no hope anymore, that's when God breaks through. Mm-hmm. Says, "Yeah, but I'm still your God, and I still give the next generation a chance, and I still in the New Testament I still give everybody a chance. So come to me." If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, 1 John 1. But if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just. will forgive our sins. will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the Lenten journey. Mm-hmm. That's, that's ultimately where we're going to go over the next 40 days. So we'll have our own wilderness adventure, and the wilderness is never a waste. Emily, you've asked some great questions. <laughs> oh, and thank you. Well, well, th- thank you for that. Anything to add? Insights, no. thoughts as, as you're going through this, the keep, stuff that stands out for you? Keep going, everybody. I think reading the different Gospels and talking about the differences and then seeing the different perspectives on the same journey yeah. that Jesus had is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Getting a whole choir to sing really adds to the depth of the music. Mm-hmm. And when you start reading the books and knowing more about the authors yeah. and what's going on, yeah. you add new levels of voices and it, it provides a depth and a beauty. To the witness of who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know. you guys are teasing what's to come with Acts and all of that. So Yeah, that's going to be good. You were just getting <laughs> warmed up. with it. And if you've fallen off the wagon on reading your daily readings, Lent's a great time to start again. Oh, yeah. yes. It's a begin again season. It's yes. a new life season. Mm-hmm. Lent literally means spring, uh, which is a time of renewal, a time when dead things come back to life. So it starts with Ash Wednesday, remembering we're dust, but it ends with the resurrection. Yeah. So see you along the way on the pathway. Uh, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you this weekend at worship too. Yeah, 
thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.